All you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe, from character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods. We will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about all things Dragon Age and its lore. I am one of your hosts, Austin, also known as SheCup. And I'm Shelby, also known as Teacup, apparently. I said that so confidently. I like looked right at you and said, I'm SheCup. I I thought you, you knew what you were doing and were just trying to be funny. Nope. I'm only that ridiculous and stupid on per on accident see just all right well well i'm she cup the real one shelby she cup (laughs) that's me yeah and i'm teacup often or teacup and we're here to talk about wars well just one really (laughs) i guess that's that's true but it's the war that you're probably familiar with um it's a war that we in theory i guess help end yeah, that's right. We do. It, not even in theory, like straight up, we do help end this war for for the good or um, for maybe not so good. It's up to you in Inquisition. So we are talking about the War of the Lions today, which is also known as the Orlesian Civil War. Right. So I will be quite honest with everyone. I know very little about this entire conflict because... Most of its in-game experience and lore revolves around my two least favorite, my least favorite area, and my least favorite main quest. Okay, so we know Wicked Eyes, Wicked Hearts is your least favorite main quest, right? Yes. Well, then what's your least favorite area? The Exalted Plains. Oh, see, I associate this much more with the Emerald Graves, which is my favorite area in inquisition right and i think that's fair as well i just think that there's so much about the emerald graves that is taken over by red templars working in there for me but i associate the exalted plains is where you actually like go and deal with like reclaiming for and meet with the orlesian army that's true. Um, I just associate Fairbanks entirely with this war, so that's probably it for me. Um, but let's get into it because there are several main players, one of whom we've kind of already just mentioned with Fairbanks, but we'll get into all of that during the episode. So if you're unfamiliar with Inquisition at this point, you're only a fan of Origins, I don't know, um, this war, it does occur during the Dragon Age, and it is a major plot point in Inquisition. So let's get started. Are you ready, Austin, for the fun facts? I am. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to say, this is kind of less of a fun fact and just more general info, but we're basically dumped into the middle of this war in the game. If you haven't read Masked Empire, you don't know anything about the context leading up to it, anything like that at all. Um, if you've just played the games, like you just get dumped in and the peace talks that we go to during Wicked Eyes, Wicked Hearts, which as you've said, is your least favorite quest. It's actually one of my favorite quests, but 
the peace talks that we go to are the peace talks to end the war. Without that knowledge, the quest, I think, seems a lot more frivolous than it actually is. Um, but I don't necessarily think the game does a great job of explaining, okay, these are peace talks to end the Orlesian Civil War. It's just like, oh, let's go to these peace talks and we'll save Orlais. So that's kind of my my opinion on it. Um, but to lead into the actual fun fact is that this war has a few different names. We can call it the War of the Lions or the Orlesian Civil War. But the fun thing about this is that it's, number one, not really a civil war. And number two, there are no literal lions in this war. It's referred to as the War of the Lions due to the house crests and the heraldry that are used by Celine's house and Gaspard's house. So Celine's heraldry uses a gold lion while Gaspard's uses a black lion. And yes, as a reminder, Celine and Gaspard are indeed part of the same family, but they do have different branches, which is why they have different crests. Um, another fun fact is that during the war, Celine declares that wearing violets, the flower, was a symbolic sign of supporting her. We have a codex entry from a merchant, actually, that tells us that Orlais almost sold itself out of violets entirely during this period. And also, this is a very, very short war. It lasts from 940 to 941 Dragon. And... Lastly, while this is a war about the ruler of Orlais, almost all of the fighting occurs in the Dales, which, frankly, I find more than a little bit ironic. Yes, definitely. Maybe we'll talk about this, but I know from at least kind of that this whole thing is kicked off by a decision by the Council of Heralds declaring Selene the rightful ruler with Gaspard. I know that there's a lot more going on, but like, I just feel like the dude has very little to gain, like, or not very little to gain, but like, I feel like that he is really making a bad play here when he's the one who is now going against tradition and the systems that is established by Orlais. Yeah, I think that's a very fair criticism of Gaspard. Um We'll get into his motivations in this episode, but I mean, I'll just say he makes a lot of untraditional decisions while upholding the banner of being traditional, which I mean, I'll just say I think that people who tend to say they want to uphold tradition, like even in our world, they tend to fall into that trap as well of saying like, oh, well, I'm traditional. I'm on this side. But then they do things that are completely untraditional. Um, so, I, I mean, I think he fits right in. Yeah, that's fair. So let's get into it. You brought it up. Um, but you're right that the crux of this war centers around Empress Selene and her accession as Empress. She becomes Empress in 920 Dragon when she's 16 years old. And obviously this was met with heavy criticism from Gaspard, who is her cousin, and all of his supporters. Gaspard is older than Celine, so he was more of an adult um, when she acceded to the throne. But the division between the two, between Celine and Gaspard, and of course their supporters, is very deep and it's very nuanced. And so let's get into some of those divisions now. Um, so let's start with Celine, since she was the official ruler. Um, but as you may or may not know, Celine did have a romance with the elven servant Briala. Some of her biggest political aspirations were also very controversial. Namely, this was the fact that she wanted to and attempted to improve Orlais' relationships with both Ferelden and Navara. Now, if you remember, both the territory that Ferelden and Navara encompasses used to be Orlesian territory. Selene's critics accuse her of complacency and allowing the Orlesian Empire to fall into ruin and other lesser, in their opinion, countries in Thetis prosper from Orlais' demise. Um, her, her detractors also see her as anti-military as she has historically been a promoter of peace and the arts and humanities. 
And then the biggest thing is over the 20-ish years of her rule, she has not produced or named an heir to the throne, which many view as a refusal to do her duty to the empire. So Mm-mm. she hasn't declared or produced an heir, which means that Gaspard is still the de facto heir to the throne if Celine dies. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And I also think that's something that the game doesn't necessarily make super clear. Um, but it it's a huge, huge deal that she wouldn't name an heir. I completely understand, like, not wanting to have a child, not wanting to marry yourself off to someone and, like, use yourself as a bargaining chip. All of that I understand. But you don't have to produce a child yourself to name an heir. You can name anybody as your heir. And like what, again, like I'm talking about like Gaspard's own flawed decision and Celine is no saint as we will soon probably find out. But what would it not have been smarter to just until she produced an heir to name Gaspard as her heir as like an olive branch as a show of like some type of like remaining peace? Yeah, I think that's a fair point, too. Um, But let's get into Gaspard a little bit. So Gaspard, of course, has capitalized on some of Celine's flaws over the past two decades. And like I said, Celine hasn't named an heir, so Gaspard is next in line. And he is also adored, adored by Orlais military forces because he is an accomplished chevalier and a commander in his own right. He wasn't just gifted those roles um, by nature of his noble status. He did earn them. And so he is very beloved by the the military and anybody that is on in, in the military or affiliated with the military in Orlais. Um, and so they even, they see him not just as a military leader, but as one who is so accomplished that he could be the next Emperor Draken. And Emperor Draken is the founder of Orle, and he is like next to Andraste and the Maker. Like, he's the third, you know? Mm-hmm. And so Gaspard's supporters very much want him to and believe that he can lead Orle back into their glory days of controlling and occupying a majority of Southern Thetis. And so... This is where things get more complicated because Gaspard, he knows a lot about Celine. He's close to her as her cousin and as heir, de facto at least. And so he knows about her relationship with Briala and he knows about Michelle de Chavon's true parentage. Okay, now as a reminder, Sir Michel is Celine's champion, but he's also a half-elf. So he had to kind of lie his way into becoming a Chevalier, which does happen frequently and is not ever punished unless it gets out, as is this case, um, because Gaspard knows about it. So he has he's got uh, Celine's dirty laundry like on lock. He's got it down. And so we'll get into to how he uses some of that. Uh, but Gaspard finds out all of this information during the Masked Empire. So as you can imagine, the tensions between Celine and Gaspard are at an all-time high. They are very hostile and very tense, but they still have to play the game. So Celine can't just not invite Gaspard to events. Like, he's a Grand Duke and her heir, after all. So she has to invite him to the things that she leads or hosts. So she hosts a royal ball and lots of different people are invited, dignitaries, diplomats, people in Orlais, whatever, um, including diplomatic ambassadors from other countries. The Ferelden ambassador, who is none other than Bantigan Garen, is invited and he does attend. We're not exactly sure what year this ball occurs, but we do know that it's sometime soon before Inquisition. I also want to remind you that the Ferelden-Orlesian War ended in 902 Dragon, so this ball is taking place about 
35-ish years um, after the Ferelden occupation. So in the long run, I don't think that's a long time. That's not very much time for, you know, old wounds to heal. That's like people who are who fought in the war could potentially still be alive and at this ball. So remember that while I describe what happens next. During the ball, Gaspard has his own personal bard, who is named Melsindra, sing a song about King Megrin. Megrin was the former Orlesian puppet king of Ferelden. Gaspard also then flaunts a sword that was stolen from the dead body of rebel queen Moira Theron. He mocks her and claims that this sword was only used by servants, not Moira, and now it's only used to kill rats, he says, while pointing it aggressively at Tegan. As you can imagine, this does not go over well in front of Ban Tegan. Gaspard knows this, as it was a direct attempt to inflame this war all over again. Selene obviously sees all this and she takes a peacekeeping role so she has her champion sir michelle challenge tegan to a duel on orlais behalf however they were ordered to fight with yellow feathers instead of weapons and the yellow feather is the symbol that chevaliers wear on their masks so she's diffusing the situation with ferelden while also mocking the chevalier order they don't take kindly to this and that's this is the main reason why she's perceived to be anti-military many many chevalier and nobles were very offended by the way that she used the chevalier symbol during this so a lot of these nobles who were offended then joined gaspard in his scheming against Celine. the primary noble in the situation is duke ramash of leeds do you have thoughts? Okay. I have many thoughts. First of all, Gaspard, you're either a genius or an idiot. And it all depends on what you want to accomplish. Because depending on what the situation is, Ferelden could be in a place to be the next like really strong power in Thetis. There's like an Orlesian arrogance that, oh, well, they're just the dirty Ferelden's or whatever. But under under a hardened King Alistair, they could rally together and give Orlais a lot of trouble. Especially, you know, they could make a back alley deal with the Free March cities or Navarra or even Tevinter. Like, Orlais could become very outnumbered and very overpowered very quickly. Gaspar, this is a dumb move. It's one thing to mock, like, Ferelden culture because Ferelden culture will like they know that orlesians hate them but they're proud of that and they'll be like oh well that's our way is just better but you mocked a dedicated hero of ferelden in queen moira and not only that but tegan himself and his father suffered under orlesian occupation like this is dumb this is really dumb and then Celine is just even worse because what kind of dumbass is going to make this political decision to mock your most respected and most like honored and glorified military order? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think Celine makes this really bad decision here. And it's so ironic because in the book, she's like, oh, look at me. I diffused this situation and it, it didn't get violent and I'm so smart and look at me. And and I'm just like, do you not see the political consequences of this that are going to come at you a year down the road? And at the same time, I, I think, I don't think Gaspard is being stupid. I think he's being very calculating. I think he's he's very smart. I think he knows exactly what he's doing because not only does he want to be emperor, but he wants to cause the most chaos possible for Celine to deal with. And that's what he's done in this situation. So I think he knows exactly what he's doing. I think there are a few missteps he definitely takes along the way, which we'll talk about later. Um, but I think Gaspard is very smart. I think you're probably right. Um, and it's it's a point of like Gaspard really has a no-lose situation here because he can insult them. And then if 
you know, Tegan decides to rise to the point of conflict or say like, okay, yeah, let's, let's hash this out. Let's fight. And Celine does nothing. She is now like, oh, she can't even defend her own family. She can't even defend Mm -hmm. this. Whereas if she does do this, oh, you're angering these relations with the Fereldans. Like, you tolerated this. Like, Gaspard is putting her in a perfect position to, no matter what decision she makes, she loses. Exactly. Exactly. And, I mean, I do think she does. Her solution is passable. It's not the best, but... It prevented open conflict, open warfare at this royal ball. So we got to give her that credit at least. But I have more between the two of these people. So let's get into the hunting trip they go on together, which let me just say. Royal hunting trips in Dragon Age lore, not good. We should never do them. They should not exist because every time we know of one that has happened in the lore, someone's died or someone's almost died. So with that being said, let's get into this. Um, Selene and Gaspard, they go on a hunting trip together, but with other people. Again, it's a royal hunt. It's not just like going out into the woods and actually hunting. It's very much all for show. Um, but during this trip, Gaspard actually proposes to Celine. Yes, marriage, first cousin marriage. That's what we're talking about here. Um, but, you know, to Celine's credit, she finds this laughable and actually laughs out loud. Um, and even though she realizes that their union could potentially unite or lay, she turns him down because A, she's a lesbian and B, he's her cousin and C, she hates him. So he's offended um, and actually pissed off, like really upset because he knows like this is the one solution for Orlay that is the peaceful path forward. Remember, they don't know about the Inquisition at this time. Like that's not that's not a thing in this timeline yet. So Gaspard is like this is his peace offering, if you will, even though he like doesn't really want to do it either. Um but when she turns him down, he's offended and he decides to draw his sword at Celine, which is treason because he's threatening the Empress, right? She then is able to slash his arm, his sword arm with a hidden dagger. Um, and so they kind of are at a standstill um, and the fight doesn't go any further because of the hunt. And there are other nobles that are approaching and they don't really want this news to get out. Right. But Celine does consider for once being open about Gaspard's machinations behind the scenes um, because she believed that the rest of the Orlesian nobles would never tolerate such a blatant assassination attempt. In the end, she decides not to say anything, though, about this situation because she felt that it would give Gaspard's supporters more leverage in the long run. So what what do you think about this situation, Austin? Um, I'm going to amend your statement and just like royal hunting trips, period. <laughs> period. Like across fantasies, someone dies, something terrible happens. You know, it just always happens. If you are a king, do not go on a hunting trip with your estranged relative who's trying to take the throne from you. That's fair. I think that that is a very wise statement. (laughs) So there are two more things that Gaspard really does that kind of inflame the fires of war. Um, So first is that he attempts to recruit Wynne to his side. Yes, Wynne, the companion from Dragon Age Origins, um, because he believed that it would potentially give him an in with the Circle of Magi and that that would automatically mean they would support him over Selene. However, Wynne absolutely refuses him and the outbreak of the Mage Templar War pretty soon after this prevents the Circle from even getting involved at all. And then the last thing is that Gaspard learns about or hears rumors of Celine's relationship with Briala, the elven servant and spymaster. So we don't really know if he knew for certain or if he just suspected their relationship. But regardless, he commissions a play at the Grand Royal Theater 
that basically insinuates and mocks Celine for having a relationship with an elven servant. She was present at the time that this play was presented to the public for the first time. She's furious, but the uh, theater in Orlay does have a tendency of being very mocking, very over the top, very satirical, doing things like this to get a rise out of politicians and rulers and leaders. So Celine's response is insane, frankly, in my opinion, um, because she overreacts massively, which we'll get into in a little bit after our mid-break. Um, but she overreacts and starts attacking elves, basically, um, to prove in her mind, like, I'm not in a relationship with Briala. Look what I'll do to the elves. Um, but everybody takes the opposite approach of like, wow, that's a huge overreaction to a joke in a play. So this is true. Yeah. Um, I am a staunch actual, like, get Gaspard to rule with Riala as the puppet master. Like, I'm, that's my supported, like, outcome for this because Celine is awful at the game. Like, the whole point of the Orlesian game is to say one thing while doing the other, you know, not letting the, you know, not letting the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Like, that's the whole point of the game of Orlay, and she is terrible at it. Like, I feel like Ogren would be better at the Orlesian game than Celine. Okay, that's hilarious, first of all. But the thing about it that gets me is that, like, she thinks she's so good at this. She thinks she's playing the game at this super high level and that she's just better than everyone. And I'm like, girl, no, you're so dumb. That's you what I was saying pretty much the entire time I was reading Masked Empires. Like, why have you made all of the wrong decisions? You have now fallen into Gaspard's trap twice and not even well-laid traps. Well, this won't be the end of that. Right. And it's just, and not only that, but like she has then alienated potential allies that could help her. Because I know that Orlesians like to look down on the elves but most of the elves, especially those who are servants to the Orlesian nobility, at least at some point, have some kind of conversation or ear of the nobles that they serve. It's dumb to just outright anger them that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Um, but you said earlier that you had a, a little theory. So why don't you tell us about your theory and then we can go to the mid-break. So... My theory is, is that I think that Gaspard has little to gain from a full out civil war other than like the throne. But we can talk about that, like the throne of Orlais and becoming emperor of Orlais. But what's the point of being an emperor of Orlais when Orlais is severely weakened? You have the Inquisition coming out. There's all these powers moving around you that you're not going to have the strength to resist. And I think Gaspard is smart enough to know that. Now, I made a theory that the whole Kirkwall bomb situation is actually Corypheus's plan to create so much chaos and death and destruction that the veil weakens so he can tear it down at Haven. Mm -hmm. I think at some level, and we know that if you've read Mast Empire, and I doubt we're going to get into this, but we know that Solus kind of has a small hand in Briala's elf uprising and whatever, maybe in even if it is indirectly. And so it makes me think that this whole thing is fabricated more by the Solus Corypheus thing than it is by Gaspard and Celine. They're not helping the situation. But it's them who are pushing these situations to the point. And it would make sense that perhaps maybe we know that the Fenharel whispers in the dreams of the elves. There's nothing to say that he can't whisper in the dreams of humans. Because they're still connected to the Fade. 
maybe he that's how Gaspard gets this big you know suspecting of Celine in this relationship is it's given to him in a dream I don't remember if the book tells us how he begins to know about their relationship I genuinely don't remember um but I think I, I don't know I feel like some of it what you're saying is a little bit of a stretch I mean we know that Florian is a servant of Corypheus and she's obviously like on Gaspard's side. So I, I don't think that's that far out there. Like he's definitely behind the scenes, like manipulating them. But I personally don't think that Solus is going to be that involved because I don't think he particularly cares about whoever rules or lay because in his mind, he's going to bring them down anyway. He just cares about the elves. Um, and we know right. that like, a lot of them leave um, during Trespasser. And so a lot of them are on his side anyway. Um, but I, I just don't think he cares about the rulers that much. Cool. Well, let's get into the mid-break. Ah, Hawk stepped in the poopy. I love you. Want a sandwich? All this for me. No, I didn't get Alexius anything. Send him a fruit basket. Everyone loves those. Well, welcome to the middle of the show, where we talk about things that have to do with the podcast, but not the lore of Dragon Age. Uh, it's here that we thank our patrons. Thank you so much to our patrons. We have some new patrons today, Amy M. and Bailey. Thank you so much for your all support there. A special thank you to our first patrons, Genesis and Lisa M. A special thank you to our Divine Tier patron, Kit. And a special thank you to our Nug King patron, Louis H., um, if you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash DA Lorecast and support us at any tiers. If you want to come on the show with us, if you want to join in that monthly patron chat, you need to sign up at a $20 tier, the first enchanter tier or higher to come on that show with us. If you can't support us on Patreon, a great way to support us is by leaving us comments on Spotify or ratings and reviews on Apple, if you leave us five stars, we'll read it out on a future episode of the show. And if you leave us a kind comment, uh, we will read it out from Spotify. And so I do have a comment to read today from Rodrigo O. And this was on the Golems and Rock Wraiths episode. This comes from our species or animals of for of Thetis series. And it says it's uh this episode was really interesting and very helpful for me because I am DMing a DA. TTRPG campaign. Well, that's awesome, and that sounds fun. And there is an official Dragon Age tabletop game, uh, but you could easily adapt any of the medieval-style tabletops to fit Dragon Age. Uh, but that sounds great. I would love to play in a game like that. And the last thing is you can join the Discord. You can find that link. You can come and hang out with us at the Cups Podcasting and more. You can talk to us about Dragon Age, visit for our other show the assassin's creed lorecast or talk about any kind of game that you want to talk about in our discord and just hang out it is the best place on the internet and that's all i got for you shelby all right well let's get back into it <laughs> up there giant icicle tits ice tittles you're looking for titsicles oh that's good Yes, and it's a real nice night for an evening. Um... <laughs> oh, you fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. So, um, where we left off at the end before Austin's theory is the play that Gaspard commissions that pokes fun of her being an elf lover, basically. Um, so... Her response is to go and attack the elves. And this will come to be known as the Battle of Halam Sharal. So she reacts against the insinuation that she favors the elves by violently attacking them, which is majorly messed up. Um, but there was an elven rebellion that was occurring in Halam Sharal. And so Selene leads a violent mob to end this rebellion. Selene and her forces do kill the elven rebels, but then they are outnumbered and surprised by a major force of Gaspard's Chevalier. So 
they are then attacked by Gaspard's forces afterwards. Um, and Celine and Sir Michel basically have to flee the scene, which means that neither Celine nor Gaspard win this encounter. And in fact, I would argue that everyone loses in this situation. And I don't think that Gaspard expected her to fully react to this way. I, I think he just wanted to like make fun of her and basically to like lessen her image and give one more thing to, for people to complain about. I don't think he anticipated this kind of overreaction uh, because it doesn't really help anyone. Like all of these elves are killed. So the elves don't win. Celine, her entire unit gets destroyed by, by Gaspard's forces. So she doesn't win since she has to go into hiding. And Gaspard doesn't win because he his forces didn't actually kill Celine. So he can't go claim the throne. So nobody wins in this situation. Um, so after the battle, Celine and Gaspard are separated. Celine cannot get back to the throne. And Valoria, without fighting through armies and putting herself in harm's way. Neither can Gaspard claim the throne for himself because Selene's not dead and he can't prove anything. So basically, they're both at a standstill. They're both screwed, frankly, because they're going to have to either way fight through armies to get to Valroyo. So both Selene and Gaspard end up trying to use the Alluvion network, thanks to Briala. There's a lot more that happens here and there's a duel that happens and M shale is involved and we've got mages and there's all kinds of stuff that happens here, but I'm not going to describe it all for you because you can go read the book, the masked empire, but eventually Celine is able to get back to the winter palace in Halam Sheral using an alluvion to get there. Similarly, Gaspard gets back to his estate in Val Shavan and regroups his forces to continue the war, just like Celine is doing. Again, just like Celine is being really stupid here, because not only are her forces decimated, she's turned her entire elven population against her and see her as a tyrant and a person of their enemy now gaspard gets to play the hero of saying like oh i came to stop her like i came to stop her from this i came to protect i'm a i am a ruler for all orlesians no matter their status yeah even though i don't think gaspard would do that um but you're right like it this completely opens him up to be like that and to use that line of logic I just also think another thing is that, you know, during this battle, Celine and Briala, they meet each other on the battlefield and Briala's like, what are you doing? Like you, you promised me that you wouldn't do this. You promised me that you would make things better for the elves. And Celine is like, well, I am in a way. And Briala's like, no, no, you're not. Um, and so that's frankly the reason why I can never get them back together in Inquisition. I know that a lot of people who haven't read the book really want them to be together, but just after reading the book, I can't do it. It feels so abusive to me. Um, so yeah, it's just super messed up. And I completely agree that Celine has made pretty much every tactical mistake that she can. Um, so, yeah, that's the Battle of Halam Sheral. Um, and it's actually the only major battle that we know of um, between the two factions specifically. But there are some other cities and areas of Orlais that we know about. Um, maybe not battles taking in, taking place in, but things are happening in other places. So some of these include Valroyo, of course, Um the nobility hear about the fighting at Halam Sheral, and so their response is to hire gangs to protect themselves, and they actually do nothing, absolutely nothing, to protect the rest of the citizens of Valrio. And so because of this, the peasants are upset, and they start rioting in the streets because, well, the nobility don't care about us, so let's just destroy the city. A fair response. So... 
The sun gates of Valroyo were closed in response, which basically seals off parts of the city. And Celine's allies also rally her supporters in Valroyo. And by the time of the Mage Templar War, rumors abound throughout Thetis that, quote, Valroyo is in flames. And then another city, Valforet, there are bunches of riots there as well. In Jader, um, the noble there, Lady Cyril, basically destroys an entire village of Gaspard's troops. Um, on the Imperial Highway, Gaspard completely cuts off the highway and uses his troops to patrol it in an attempt to prevent Selene from being able to go to the western part of the country at all. And then in the Heartlands, we hear rumors of a major battle by the time of the Mage Templar War, but we don't have any more information on it, unfortunately. So there's fighting all over the country. Yeah. Um, I think that, like, if you are just playing the games, like, you don't really see the effects. I mean, you see kind of aftermaths of the Civil War. But like I said, most of the major like battle scenes or other places we see are in the Exalted Plains, which is already like a ruined battlefield from the Exalted March on the Dales. And so like we don't really see. If you're not really even paying that much attention, you might not even know what these talks are for. You might just think, oh, I'm going to the Winter Palace because there's a party for and there's something mm -hmm. about the succession of Orlay. Exactly. Yeah, if you're not paying attention, you can totally miss it at the whole thing. Um, but since you brought up the peace talks, let's get into what happens there. Um, because as you may already know, this war is resolved by your choices um, during the peace talks. So like we mentioned earlier, this is the Wicked Eyes, Wicked Hearts quest. So in 941, Gaspard's sister, Florianne, is actually the one who arranges the peace talks. And Gaspard is the one who invites the Inquisitor. And then Briala is invited as the Rebel Elves ambassador. All three of Celine, Gaspard, and Briala are making moves and maneuvering behind closed doors to get ahead of the other two. You can play the game to find out details about this, but in summary, Gaspard hires Ferelden mercenaries, Celine captured and tied up one of these mercenaries, and Briala sends forged letters to the other ambassadors. But at the end of the day, Florianne is the one who puts the wrench into all of the plans because she's secretly allied with Corypheus. Her plan was to kill Selene, kill the entire Council of Heralds, frame Gaspard for all of that, and then lead Orlay herself under Corypheus. So regardless of your choices, the Civil War ends with the end of the peace talks as Orlais officially allies itself with the Inquisition in the war against Corypheus. It's my least favorite quest. I um I really like it. I like the political maneuvering. I think it's fun. I think I've done I've done all of the options except for no, I've done all the options. Um I, I was going to say I've never done it where Gaspard is just the ruler himself, but I have done that. Um, but my my least favorite option, I will say, is Celine sitting on the throne for herself. I just think that it it really is like any version of Celine. If you've been paying attention, if you've read Master at Empire, and even if you talk to your advisors... Most of them are like, it doesn't really matter who sits on the throne for us because we can work. Josephine's basically like, we can work with any of them. Cullen's like, Gaspard seems like a good man, a military man. And Liliana's like, Celine's weak, let her die. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I agree. I think she is weak. Um, I think she's weak. I think she doesn't know anything at all about being tactical i think she makes really bad choices um and i think she gets really blinded by her emotions and that's not those are not the characteristics you want in a ruler right and i think that as a orlesian ruler 
you cannot have soft skin. Like you need to have thick skin. And Celine doesn't. Like she takes every perceived insult as like an attack on her character when like that's to quote Vivian, that's the game, love. Yeah. And like, I mean, I just want to do a thought experiment for a little bit, but like imagine at the play, because I feel like that's what sets everything off is the play and her response to it. Imagine if she did, she went to this play and she laughs at the joke and she leaves and she's seen leaving and laughing and like not letting it face her. What do you think the response from the everyday people of Orle would be? Most of them are probably going to be like, oh, it's either that she's confident enough in her dis- her choices that she doesn't care. So if it is true, she doesn't really care. If she's laughing it off, they're like, oh, well, it's not true because she's like, oh, that's so ridiculous. That's hilarious. Like, it's not. But her response is so emotional. Only someone with wounded pride reacts that way. Only someone who that hits deeply is going to react that way. So, yeah, I just, oh, she frustrates me so much. Um, But anyway, so let's get into the aftermath a little bit. But um, normally I would end this war episode by discussing the aftermath of the war. But frankly, we don't know that much about it. Um, We assume, of course, that Orle has to build and improve what all was broken, but that's about it. So I thought we could have a discussion like, what are your thoughts on this war? Who do you think is in the right? If anyone, Gaspard or Celine, if you had to pick one, and if you were an Orlesian, who would you side with and why? My answer changes on like, when in the Civil War are you talking about because if i was an orlesian and i'm just knowing myself i think i would follow the thing of i'd be like the council of Harold spoke like they said celine was the right successor like there's no like there's no disputing that and so i would probably be on celine's side for most of it until the battle of Palam Sharal. And then I'd be like, no, like, you're a tyrant. Then I would probably switch over and go toward Gaspard. I do think that Celine is weak. I think that Gaspard's criticisms of her as a ruler are valid. But the other thing, like, I do think Gaspard is a bully. But, like, the game, when you meet him, kind of paints him as, like, oh, he's just, like, a common soldier. He's just this person. Like, he's a bully and he's aggressive and he's doing all of these things, but really like in Mass Empire, this man is highly intelligent and knows how to play the game. Yeah. And that's the thing about it is he's not a common soldier. He's a commander. He is like one of the leaders of the Chevalier order. So he's not a common man at all. I think the game portrays him as very charismatic, very, very much a compelling leader. And so I definitely would find myself, I think, on Gaspard's side because as an everyday person, Celine pretends to care, I think, about the everyday people. She pretends to support the elves and the humanities and and all of that, whereas Gaspard is much more of a straight shooter and is like, no, I don't care about that. I don't care about you. I care about me. And, and frankly, for me, I would rather you be honest with me than just sitting there bullshitting me and lying to me. So that's that's where I, f- I would find myself if I was an Orlesian peasant. And I think that Celine, for a most of the part, like has the support of the nobles. She takes a lot of critique for the ball with the mocking of the Chevaliers. But for the most part, she's got the Orlesian nobility behind her. And it's very much reminds me of like the conflict that's presented between Julius Caesar and Pompey in the time of like Julius Caesar's rise to power because Julius Caesar kind of really paints himself as this like populist leader, this person that like isn't bogged down in the nobility is a man of like the glory of Rome is beloved by the military. And then you have Pompey who is like all entrenched in like the Senate and the politics and the nobility of the Roman empire and all of those things. And they're at war with each other. But like Julius Caesar is the one that the people look to and be like, he is the one who's going to lead Rome to greatness. 
And so neither of them win in the end, which I think is an apt comparison for Celine and Gaspard because the same is true for them. But I think that like, just for before we go into our side character, this is a point of like why in our actual world, lines of succession are so like detailed and set, not like necessarily like set in stone, but there's in a very official way to like, if you're going to bypass the line of succession of how you do that, because in our world, in our world history, so many bloody wars and conflicts have been fought over the line of succession. Absolutely. So true. At the end of the day, like for this war specifically, um, I asked the question, who do you think is in the right? And I, I think that Celine, at the end of the day, she's in the right because the Council of Heralds, they declared her to be the rightful ruler. And Gaspard is the antagonist. He's the one that says, no, that's not fair. I'm older. I'm wiser than her. We have the same, like, basically claim. Why are you not picking me? I'm a military leader. She's not. I'm this. She's not. Um, And so he's the antagonist. He's the one that stirs everything up. But Celine isn't smart enough or good enough at the game to make him irrelevant. Okay, so... We both love The Last Kingdom. And when that show is introduced, there is a big question on the line of succession for the throne of Wessex, whether it's going to be Alfred or it's going to be whatever. I can't even remember his name. That's how insignificant he was made. Ethelwald. Ethelwald. But Uhtred and Alfred are talking and Uhtred's like, you should kill him. He's going to be trouble. Like, And he is trouble, but you should kill him and do this. And Alfred says, if I kill him or give him any attention, I give him legitimacy to his claim. And I think that's a lesson that Celine could have learned here. Mm-hmm, absolutely. But Celine's issue is that she doesn't think she has anything to learn. Arrogance is always the fall of the mighty. Okay, so let's get into our side character for today, who is Fairbanks, as we teased at the beginning. Um, and I am so excited to talk about Fairbanks because um, I really just really like the symbolism of like talking about this war of rulers and then coming in with Fairbanks's story because Fairbanks's story is one of helping the common people and the peasants and refugees who are displaced by this war. So I'm really glad we're ending on, on this note. So um, before we get into Fairbanks's story, do you have any thoughts on Fairbanks? Do you like him or are you just neutral? I pretty much like Fairbanks. I've only done his like, quest once of like really like getting out there and like doing the quest and paying attention to it but after watching absolution like i wanted to know more about him i really did like his character in absolution i think that he does kind of give a new because every orlesian we ever meet other than like liliana who is like dances between orlesian and ferelden they're all obsessed with like this nobility and this order of things. But I feel like Fairbanks is this person who comes in and is like, no, I care about the everyday people. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate that depth to the world of adding his character in. I completely agree. Completely agree. That's why I love him. Um, so before we jump in, he does appear in Absolution. So there will be some Absolution spoilers at the end of the episode um, here in the next few minutes. So just know that if you haven't watched it. And we actually do meet him in Inquisition, where he is the leader of a group of Orlesian refugees who have been displaced by the War of the Lions. His group is located in Watcher's Reach, which is an area of the Emerald Graves. We actually know a surprising amount of information about Fairbanks. Like, we know a lot about him. And that's because he's actually of noble birth. He was born in 908 Dragon. And not only do we know the year, but we know the month and the day as well. He is born specifically on the 25th of the month of Herring. And we also know a lot about his family. He was born to Bernice Lamarck, who was a young noblewoman who, it seems, got pregnant out of wedlock. And her father murdered her lover, the man who got her pregnant, and then disowned Bernice. So Bernice travels through a blizzard to find a midwife to help her have this baby. She does find a midwife. And the midwife lives in the Dales, specifically at the Fairbanks Cottage. 
This woman delivers her son, who Bernice then names Everest Lamarck, but as we know, he goes by the name Fairbanks instead, in the name of the cottage, of course, where he's born. And that's because Fairbanks completely disavows his noble birth entirely in favor of the common man. I feel like Fairbanks and Sarah would absolutely be best friends. I 100% agree with that. And I think that this kind of goes to like, why would Fairbanks want to go into his nobility side? His grandfather murders his father and throws his mother out and she eventually, you know, dies. And it's just like, why would he want to be a part of that world that basically always said, no, you're not good enough. Exactly. He he wouldn't and he doesn't. Um, but yeah, back to his back to his father and his family for a little bit. Um, we don't really know what happens to his mother, Bernice, but we do know that his grandfather, who is named Giro, eventually does repent of his actions and he feels very guilty about how he treated Bernice. And in his will, he decides to leave his entire estate to Bernice's descendants. So when we meet him, Fairbanks does not live in the estate. In fact, the only memento that he has of his family is his grandfather's gold locket. So when the freemen of the Dales form themselves and get involved with Red Lyrium, many of those refugees look to Fairbanks to protect them as they're preyed upon by the freemen. And Fairbanks does indeed help them, and that's how he becomes their leader. You can help them in a series of side quests in Inquisition, and you can also choose to reveal or not reveal his noble heritage. If you do, and this happens in War Table missions, there are a few things that can happen depending on um, which advisor you choose. So um, the options for Fairbanks are he can slightly embarrass himself at court. He can become a popular folk hero among the court of Orlais, which is in that position he uses to support the Inquisition. Or if you leave him entirely to his own devices, he settles in a modest estate in the Dales and devotes much of his new wealth to supporting refugees during the war. And he can also join you as an Inquisition agent. And then lastly, the last thing we really know about Fairbanks is that he also appears in Dragon Age Absolution. In short, Fairbanks partners with Hera and they are sent by the Inquisition to steal an ancient Tevinter artifact. He then puts together the gang of the show and unfortunately Hera betrays the group. Fairbanks is the first one to figure this out, and he attempts to attack Hira before she can steal the artifact. Unfortunately, Hira does wound him mortally, though he, he escapes the vault with the artifact. He manages to make it back to the entry point and dies just after Miriam finds him, although he does give her the Circulum Infinitus before he dies. And that is the end of Fairbanks' story. I remember watching that with you in there and just like thinking because they paint it in this way of like he's betraying them and you you were like no like this is trash like Fairbanks would never I think that it really like knowing what you know about him and kind of thinking about it it makes me think that either one Fairbanks figures out what Hera's main thing is go which I think is very possible that he knows that she's lying or doing something there or that Liliana and Cassandra know that she can't be trusted and sent Fairbanks because they trusted him to make sure that she didn't do any of this. Because I really yeah. find it hard to hard to believe that something that involved with Red Lyrium is not something Varric would be aware of as Viscount of Kirkwall. Yeah, maybe. Um it is a Tevinter artifact, though, so who knows? But what I find it hard to believe is that Cassandra and Liliana would would trust a Templar, or not a Templar, would trust a Tevinter mage that much to send her alone. So I agree that I think that um, they send Fairbanks as kind of insurance to make sure they're they're covering their butts in case Hera decides to betray them. Right, because I don't think that... There's no way that Liliana trusts Hera, especially after mm -hmm. the scene of them talking to her where she is basically like, 
no, like, we're not going to tear down Tevinter because that's not our goal here. We're not here to overthrow nations. We're here to bring stability to the to Thetis. All right. Well, that's about all I have for this episode. So unless you have any more things to discuss, we can wrap it up. I think that's all I got. Let's wrap it up. So first, before we go, I do have a special thank you to our Nug King patron, Lewis H., who gets thanked at the end of the show. And thank you all for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Well, do you know your video game lovers? Have you ever wondered how your video game bays stack up against all the other delectable digital dates? I'm Genesis, the girl whose motto in life is love, laugh, tequila. And on Two Girls, One Ship, we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. And I'm Vervada, the hopeless romantic cat lady and lifelong gamer. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of physical connection. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters, using specific in-game dialogue and the overall narrative journey. So join the two girls, one ship, shipsters, and remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller.